Blog Talk Radio. Calling all men. It's now your time for your show with your coach, the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. Relax, be heard, and be understood. It's the show where men can be men. Now here's the coach who has your back, Linda Gross. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. I am all in to have you listen to today's show. We're going to be talking about how adverse childhood uh, events affect adulthood. It affects some people, but not others. Is this you? Do you want to know how to break out of this? Well, we're going to join my guest today. He's a therapist who is working with various issues from mental disorders to addictions, piercing through all of these layers to break through to confidence and performance issues. His niche is working with people with stress, in particular anxiety, as most issues are manifested from having a dysregulated nervous system causing high levels of stress. Please welcome to the show. Uh, we're, we're joined by Sean McNicholas. Welcome, Sean, to the show. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you. How are you doing today? Thanks for I'm joining very well, us. Thank you. Awesome. And for my listeners out there, you're welcome to call in on this topic with a comment or question to our guest. Our call-in number is 323-642-1677. Again, that number is 323-642-1677. Or you can hop on the chat line. That chat line, if you're listening live, is right here on blogtalkradio.com, blogtalkradio.com forward slash D.T. Linda Gross, forward slash D.T. Linda Gross. All right. Welcome, Sean, to the show. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you got uh, involved in this field. Okay. Um, I've been a therapist now for years, and my background was originally in finance and technology. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always had an interest in psychology, psychotherapy for many years, because in my early teens, uh, and studying, I actually worked as a nursery teacher. So I was learning about psychology and those modules at a very early stage, always fascinated by behavior, always fascinated by the way people act out in front of different people, how they think, how they behave, and trying to understand really what's going on inside. Interesting. All right. Um, okay, I see that you really help people who are struggling with unbearable success or anxiety and you watch how it affects their lives and you intervene using a number of different methodologies. I know you use hypnotherapy, um, NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, and some other um, trauma-blasting <laughs> types of therapy. Um, how do you diagnose which avenue to use with a particular person? Yeah, I mean, I rather than see a counselor or therapist for 50 minutes or an hour, week on week, I'm, I'm much more very intensive. 
And what I mean by that, this is a, I offer a package where we first have a, an hour long, hour and a half to really understand what's going on, to understand your thinking patterns, to understand why you think the way you do, to get to understand your history, your, your childhood, because there's always a connection as to how you behave now and how you think now. There's always a direct connection to your past because it's, it's formed for many years before that, that create your core beliefs. So what I do is I, I understand, first of all, asking many particular questions in, in a number of different ways to really understand where the root cause is coming from. And then I work out what is the best solution for each of these clients because they show up and present issues in different ways. Many people come with stress, many people come with anxiety, PTSD, some forms of trauma, you know, OCD, um, addictions. So I need to understand, first of all, what's going on? What's made you do this? What's made you behave in a certain way? And then by doing so, then what I do is that after that first session where I'm talking to you like I'm talking to you now and ask you the question, tell me what's going on. Tell me why you do the things you do. And we're talking from a conscious level. And once we understand that, my next step is to have the next session, which is about two to three hours, which is a real deep dive into what's going on underneath. Because then I switch off the, the conscious mind through hypnotherapy. And by doing so, I get to speak to the subconscious mind because this is where all your memories are saved, all your core beliefs are formed. You know, everything that's gone through your life is stored there. And sometimes people aren't aware of accessing that in some way because those memories are there. But sometimes people just can't recall them. Or in some instances, they can't even associate with them. They've been totally disconnected, called dis dissociation. Yeah, I find that to be true. Sometimes the event is so traumatic that you block it, block it out, right? Yeah, you, have, you do you subconsciously. Have sort of, you have some sort of, uh, I forget what it's called, some sort of amnesia to that particular event because it's too traumatic. Yeah, what happens is that there's parts of the brain, there's a part of the brain that, that literally switches off. It's called dissociation because if you're going through such a traumatic event, any form of kind of sexual abuse or vicious attack, your brain will switch off in survival mode. It's doing it to keep you safe. It's doing it to keep you alive. So you can reach those untapped areas because, like I say, the patient may not be conscious of what it is he or she is, quote-unquote, forgetting. So, But you have methods to access those areas, bring yeah. that to the surface? Yes, absolutely. And um, the reason why we do this as well is because some people feel like the past is too traumatic, but, but what it means is that you're still carrying this within you every day. And mm -hmm. this could be for 10, 20, 30 years. But you've never been able to let it go. Um, but it's about going into the past to understand what happened. And most of the time, what happened was through no fault of your own. Normally, you felt powerless. You had no voice. You couldn't speak up. You weren't in a position at that time in your life to do anything about the situation. Right. You can fight flight or freeze and in this instance most of the time when you're younger it's normally freeze and the reason being is if you try to fight or run away or flee um, there, there could be a worse outcome so you've conditioned yourself by staying safe and secure you freeze and you allow this to happen but as it happens it starts to change the conditioning of your brain this is where the adapt adaptation starts to begin this is where you lose your authenticity from the person who you once were do in some instances does a traumatic event is it is it delayed in the way that the body and the mind process it maybe it it's 
lays dormant for years and then all of a sudden then the person gets, you know, a panic attack syndrome or some sort of, you know, recurring syndrome. So is that possible? Do you see that? Yeah, I mean, let's talk about panic attacks. I mean, exactly what that is, is it's, it's somehow activating an old memory. So you're living in the current day. And yeah. if you can imagine, if you're walking down the road and if you, you walk past 20 people, and one of the people that walks past you just so happens to, when he smiles and nods to say hello, he may have a gap in his teeth. Mm-hmm. Now, there may have maybe a boy at school that bullied you when you were nine years old, and that bully was terrible to you and traumatized you through your whole school, school days, and even mm-hmm. to the point where you didn't want to go to school. That kid had a gap in his teeth. Mm. And every time you think of that gap in the teeth, it reminds you of that boy, brings you back to the time and place where you're so scared, so frightened, and had a memory of whatever he did to you, this physical violence, whatever it's going to be. So when you're walking down the road today and you walk past all these people and you're looking, you might be just looking directly to, into a, a shop or something like that, but subconsciously you've picked up a person walks past with a gap in his teeth and subconsciously it activates an old memory. And when that memory is activated, it brings you back to the time and the place when you were that young child when this boy was bullying you. And at that moment, it activates all of these emotions. They come flushing through your body. Your heart rate goes up, palpitations, your breathing changes, you're sweating, you get clammy. All of a sudden, you're overwhelmed. Your mind's racing, but you do not know what's going on. And this is because you've activated an old memory. And this is the same as PTSD. Mm-hmm. Panic attack and PTSD are, are the same thing, or are they different? No, no. What I'm saying is the mechanism of activating right. past memory. trigger. Yes, trigger of it. because yes. if you're in a war zone and uh, you've suffered from PTSD from explosions going off and all of a sudden you're walking down the road and you hear a bang from a, a car or something like that, mm-hmm. it instantly that sound takes you back to that memory. That memory evokes the emotion and all of a sudden you are overwhelmed, you are back in that war zone. Gotcha. You don't feel safe, you don't feel secure. All of a sudden those memories, those feelings, those sensations, those thoughts are overwhelming. And this is, so going back to panic attacks, your breathing starts to get more shallow. Why are you, why are you breathing so shallow? Because you, you can't cope with what's going on. You're trying to think about it logically. You can't. It's all about trying to cope with your emotions. But what's happening when you have that panic attack, the way you're breathing is more and more oxygen is going into the brain. When you have too much oxygen, this is what happens with a panic attack. So one of the techniques when people have panic attacks uh, is that they, they breathe into a paper bag. And the reason why they breathe into a paper bag is that they're breathing out carbon dioxide because they mm-hmm. need some carbon dioxide to go into the brain to balance things out. Hmm. So is this similar to somebody that experiences, say, for example, fear of flying? I, I know there are some therapists that can, through behavior modification, undo that fear of flying. So again, yeah. it might be... It might not be the plane itself. It might be the plane represents a trigger that happened in childhood, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so so I, I, do a lot, I do a lot of work with phobias. And the phobia, when people think about the fear of flying, they think that's to do with airplanes. It's got nothing to do with airplanes. It's the fear of not being in control. It's the right. fear of, you know, you in this, as far as they're concerned, the mindset is I'm in this metallic tube. There's, there's no, I can't see out the windscreen. I don't know who's driving. You know, I've got no control. If I decide that I want to get off this plane mid-flight, I can't. And that's where the panic comes from. 
So we need to dive in to understand where as this fear of not being in control came from. And this is why hypnosis really works for this. And with the combination of the hypnosis and the CBT, NLP, RTT as well, um, I use these combinations to really get to the root cause of what happened and then to reset their senses to make them understand they are safe and secure. Because if I, if I say to them, when you're on a plane and you look around, there are children playing, there's someone reading a book, there's someone watching something on a screen with their headphones on, everyone's calm and relaxed. So what's going on inside your head? What core beliefs are being um, brought, to, brought to the forefront of your mind? What memories are being triggered? crazy what creates the trigger because you know the person might have had a decade of two or two of flying with no issue whatsoever and then all of a sudden one day something happens and then now they have a horrible you know fear of flight yeah it's very common gotcha let's go back a, a moment to the um adverse uh, child event i think that's what you're calling a c e tell us a little bit about how one person might get traumatized and the other not maybe they're siblings maybe they both experienced the same event sometimes i've you know read stories of their twins and they've experienced the same event one twin is fine the other twin is traumatized or like we were talking offline before, you were talking about the soldier. Um, you could have, you know, both of them in the foxhole there. One person gets traumatized and affected, and the other one comes out okay. How does that dynamic happen? Okay, so we go back to the ACEs first of all. So adverse childhood experience. So when young men are growing up, boys at school, you know, sometimes you're, you're seen as being the problem child the disruptive child, the one who misbehaves, the one who speaks out, the one that just doesn't have control of their actions or their emotions. And then they grow up to be adults. And this behavior continues. And um, there are behavioral issues, mental disorders that start to be diagnosed if it's OCD, ADHD, dyslexia, um, depression, many forms of uh, mental disorders. And um, the question is, when people behave like this, many people say, what's wrong with you? Now, the question shouldn't be what's wrong with you. The question should be what happened to you? What happened to you for you to start behaving like this or thinking or feeling this way? And there was, a, there was an amazing study called the ACE test, the Adverse Childhood Experience Test, and it was 10 questions. And uh, I can go through the questions, if you like, to really explain how, the, how these work. Yeah, please do. Okay. So for all the listeners, um, just don't count on your fingers to see of these 10 questions how many um, resonate with you. So the first question was, while you were growing up during the first 18 years of your life, did a parent or any other adult in the household often swear at you, insult you, put you down or humiliate you, or even act in a way that made you feel afraid or that you might be physically hurt? Question two, did a parent or any other adult in the household often push you, grab you, slap you or throw something at you? or ever hit you so hard that it made a mark or made you injured? Question three, did an adult or person at least five years older than you ever touch you or approach you in a, in a sexual way or attempt to have any uh, intercourse with you? Question four, did you often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought that you were important or special? Or did your family ever um, look out for each other or feel close to each other or support each other? Question five. Did you often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, had no one to take care of you or protect you? 
or that your parents were so drunk or too high to take care of you that um, even a doctor couldn't even come to see you, even if you needed it? Did you grow up in an environment where your parents were separated, divorced, or if one of them passed away? Were any of your parents or any other cult caregivers often pushed, grabbed, or slept, or had something thrown at them in some kind of domestic violence? Or even if they had like emotional abuse or had something threatened at them? Did you live with anyone who had a problem with alcohol, drugs, or any other type of addictions? Was any household member ever depressed, mentally ill, or even attempted suicide? And finally, did any household member ever go to prison? So these are 10 questions. And as you count those questions up, the higher you score, the higher your chances are that you will grow up in dysfunction, living in a stressful environment, uh, leading to some form of mental disorders, leading to addictions and so on. In fact, most people, most men in particular, um, score six out of 10. Uh, most men in prison score six out of 10 or more. Hmm. So it shows you that the impact of your environment, it shows you the impact of growing up through these, and we'll call them traumas, or these experiences, they have an adverse effect on you growing up. They change the way your brain works. They change your neurology because you have got to learn to survive in this environment because the people that love should love and care for you the most, your caregivers, they let you down in one way or another. And that's very painful for a young person because when a young person uh, lives in this environment, they're very egocentric. And what I mean by that is that when you're egocentric, everything is about yourself. So when something happens, you always blame yourself. So someone, when someone doesn't show you love, you tell yourself, I'm unlovable. You know, when someone treats you unfairly, you tell yourself life isn't fair. You know, until you see something out in the world, someone that gives you hope, someone that shows you some love and nurture, that's what you need in, in life to change how you think and feel of the world. Wow, those questions are very triggering. <laughs> they will be. Do you ask those questions of every patient? I do. There's a couple of there's a couple of um, different questions. It depends what they're coming to me with the issue. So it depends right. what they present. Uh, so there's other questions. So I have other m methods of understanding. I always want to know what happened. You know, I mean, for me, look, there's 10 questions there. I score nine out of 10. So it took me a long time to overcome all of my adversities to really understand what happened for me. And once I understand what happened for me and why, and for many, many years, I blamed myself. There was, there was a lot of guilt, blame, or shame, you know, and many people carried guilt, blame, and shame for many, many years when it wasn't your fault. But you know what? No one ever told you this. You know, you blamed yourself. You were that child. It's all your fault. And this is the work I do. It's about resetting that, identifying what happened and understanding and accepting it wasn't your fault. You know, you were in an environment... If you look at, we talk about environments and love and nurture, you know, when you plant an acorn, it's not just so simple to plant an acorn and expect it to be a tall, strong oak tree. It all depends on the environment about love and nurture. So if you can imagine planting an acorn in a field and every day someone comes to water it, gives it the right environment, right temperature, enough daylight, enough rain, you know, the perfect conditions that will grow into a strong, tall oak tree. But if you can imagine now that oak, that acorn is planted in a pot 
and it's in a dark room and it's cold and it's not watered, you know, how can it ever grow to be a strong, tall oak the same? You know, even if it gets fed now and again, is it nourished properly? Is it be given love and attention? Is it given the environment you need? You know, if there's a roof on top, is it going to be crippled so you can't be reach your full potential that that oak tree should have? And this is what happens so many times. It's, it's, it's so sad to see, you know, to see people's potential not being fulfilled because of, of being held back by your childhood. Hmm. You mentioned that it's a natural behavior of the child to... Um, be egocentric with, with the event. So is there a way to turn it around where you can put it in the... In the oh, gosh, getting a bad echo there. I don't, I'm not sure why. Um, anyway, is there a way to turn that around where the child can then see it more clearly that it was a parent who was at fault or doing this event and not the child him or herself? Absolutely. And that's the work I do because... Um, What's happening, many people, like we talk about panic attacks and PTSD, what happens is in the real world now, you're taken back to a time and a place to trigger off those emotions. What I do is that I bring that innocent, powerless, helpless child, I bring them into your life now to the present. So I bring you forward. So rather than living in the past, living in survival mode, living on high alert as if something bad's going to happen to you at all times, as if you feel like you're under threat, there's some form of danger, you don't feel safe, and what happens is by living in the past, you have this part of the brain called the amygdala. It's like a radar. It's constantly scanning, scanning for problems. Am I safe? Am I secure? But every time that, that radar is scanning, it stops you thinking. It stops the brain working. You can't think logically. And when you can't think logically, you can't use your memory. So when people, especially with their anxiety, for example, they get, they get something called brain fog. And brain fog is because they can't think clearly because the radar is scanning and the alarm bell are ringing saying we have a problem there's a problem we need to pay attention but all, all that's happened is your subconscious has activated an old memory wow <laughs> i often I, I, uh, uh, am guilty of this because when i go into a restaurant i always sit in the mafia seat <laughs> i don't know if you know, okay. what that, know what that, but yeah. you sit up against the wall you sit where you can face where the front door is or where the exit is and, and you sit in a, in a key in a, position at the restaurant, restaurant where you can kind of peruse everything, everything, everything yeah. and everyone. So yeah. if, if the mafia comes by and they're going to murder everybody in the restaurant, you know where the exits are, you know where the escape hatch is, you know it all. <laughs> so tell me why you do that. Because <laughs> I think when I was a kid, I was, you know, like you say, I was you know, my parents were out of control. So it's a method of my being in control, that I'm in charge, I'm the leader, I know how to escape, I know how to bring everybody to safety. I went on a cruise ship and they were, you know, they have this safety drill, like like yeah. a, this adverse event happens, like a fire yeah. on the ship or something like that. And they yeah. go through this whole trip you know their school they go to training for this right and I'm like no you're doing it wrong you know you you put the life vest on this way and the pull cord on the life vest is over here not over it's on the right side not on the left side it's like I already had the whole thing diagnosed how I was going to get those thousand passengers off the cruise ship I mean it was crazy but, but, I, but I was right reason. because 
There's as a, reason. a child, I experienced so much trauma and fighting in the household and what have you that I was, as a kid, I always look for where's the escape route and, you know, I'll take whomever with me, the innocent parties, who, whomever with me and bring them to rescue also. Okay. So I can already tell that you grew up in an unsafe environment. Yes. So so let's, let's do something quickly then. Um, I'm going to invite you to do a quick exercise with me to just to demonstrate that you still live in the past. Okay. Okay. So I would like you to tell me about something that has upset you recently, something that someone said or done to you. It could be anything. Oof. Oof. Nothing serious. It could be anything. Well, I was asking this other person to join me for a meeting and she didn't want to do that or she didn't do that and she was being insubordinate by saying that because she's my employee it's like I'm asking you for a 10-minute meeting and who the hell are you to say no okay so in that moment when she said no how did that make you feel what were your emotions uh, I was kind of outraged. I was kind of like shocked that, you know, I was expecting her to say, I'm not ready or give me 10 minutes or mm. I can't do it now and book another time or, yeah. or, but she was completely defiant. And I thought, wow, wh- where did you, how, where did you get off being completely defiant like that? Okay, so and, some of the feelings, took, were you feeling it me, angry? It took me upset? like every ounce of strength to not fire her because I should have fired her yeah. because it was so, uh, you know, disrespectful. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, what was your question? Tell me what were my feelings at the time? Yeah. I was so just outraged. Outraged. So angry. Angry, yes. Mm-hmm. Were you upset or sad or anything like that? Upset, yes. Disappointed? Yeah. Okay. So the question I'd like to ask you then, what was it in particular that made you feel so angry and upset? Her defiance. Yeah, but what did that mean to you by her defying define you? Um, well, it was sort of like, I don't care that you're my boss. I'm going to talk to you like this anyway. It was disrespectful. Yeah. So what kind of person doesn't get cared for? You mean meaning me? Yeah. (laughs) Because as a kid, I wasn't cared for. I was, you know, I was that mafia person. I was the, uh, I I was the, the the army ranger because I had to be. So someone that, that doesn't feel deserving of care. Probably. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so let's think about some other reasons why that person said that no, said no in that moment. That had nothing to do with making you feel angry, upset, disrespected, or like they don't care about you. So there could be many possibilities why that person in that moment had nothing to do with you, but mm-hmm. they said no. Let's, let's, let's name a few. She was busy. What else? What else is there? 
she was caught off guard. She was busy. She, you know, didn't want to have a video appointment, which would have been fine with me. Just turn on the audio. It's like she was going, the task at hand, she was going completely offhand, and she didn't get the task correct. So rather than her spending six hours doing an incorrect action, that's why I wanted the 10-minute meeting to put her back on track. Okay. Um, So there's a number of possibilities that could have been the reason why she said no in that moment, right? Yeah, I mean, she, you know, who knows? She could have been cooking or just out of the shower or, like, who knows yeah. what. But I don't care about any of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a way that you talk to your boss, and that was mm. not it. <laughs> so, Linda, so, so tell me, of all the possibilities we just listed, of yeah. the reasons why she couldn't, have, um, she couldn't do it in that moment, she was cooking, she had a shower, she was away, she could have been lunch. There could have been many reasons, yeah, right. including your reason of she doesn't care about you. Which one is the worst or the most painful to you? Doesn't care about me, meaning mm. that my request of the 10-minute meeting was mm. irrelevant. She didn't think she needed it, so that's mm. the end of that. So okay. it's, it's, again, it's a form of disrespect. So notice something. We do not react to what actually happens we react to the perception of what happens because it all goes down in the mind. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is that when she said no, there could have been 50 reasons why she did that. There's something to do with her, but you took it as she doesn't care about you. Correct. Does that make sense? Correct. And of all the possibilities that we could have chosen, so there's a number of possibilities, you chose the worst one. I did. Yeah. I did because now, she made me seem irrelevant. Like yeah. that 10-minute meeting is not important to her, so therefore yeah. she's not doing it. Okay. Now, what I just said is not quite true because we never took a moment to go through a list of possibilities. So when she said no to you, you never went through a list of possibilities as to why she said no. You chose the worst one because we automatically go to the worst possibility. And the question is why? Why do our minds do that? So I'm mm-hmm. curious. Mm-hmm. Linda, was this the first time in your life that you felt or experienced uh, someone making you feel like they don't care about you? Or does this go way back? No, it goes back to childhood. It's, how, I, I, how did not, I did not, I don't know, probably age eight. I mean, I did not feel cared for. I had to be the caretaker of my parents because my parents were, were disconnected <laughs> from yeah. me and from each other. Yeah. You know, so I became, you know, the drill sergeant. I became the leader. I became, I got you out of the foxhole where it wasn't the other way around. It should be the other way around. It should be. But you became the parent. Right. And how did that make you feel? I mean, later in life it served me because no, I the, feel like I'm... Child, yeah. In that moment as the eight-year-old, how did it make you feel? Well, it makes you feel unsafe and insecure. Yeah? Did you feel loved at that moment? No. Did you feel significant? No. Did you feel like you mattered? I mean, insignificant. I felt a little bit significant that I was able to lead the pack out of danger. By default? Yeah. But from my personal point of view, no, I felt insignificant. Yeah. And and when you felt like that? That wasn't my role. I mean, I wasn't the adult role. Of course not. And who did you talk to about it? No one. So where did those feelings go? They got 
super suppressed and I have issues with that too. It's like I have buried my emotions so far deep that when, you know, it's kind of a miracle that I'm rattling off all these emotional terms because in general, I'm very unemotional. Mm. Well, this shows us that childhood trauma prevents us from living in the past uh, in the present moment because we keep going back to that inner child by living in the past. All that happened in that event that you mentioned earlier well, that person said no to you. And as a result, that event took us to the worst time in your childhood, meaning that we're not living in the present. Now, let's assume for one minute now, Linda, that you are the most lovable, confident, motivated, reassured person. You're inspirational, you love yourself, you have self-esteem, you're the most important person in the world, and you ask that person to do something and they say no, how would you respond? Well, I mean, you'd take the situation for, for what it is, and if you're still not clear on the situation, I mean, I will have a talk with her today as to why she said no. I didn't have time to get into it yesterday, mm. but um, I will ask her why she felt it was okay to say no. Yeah. So the last question is, who is the one that doesn't care about you? Well, I mean, if you're saying I magnified the situation more than it is, I guess it would be me. I don't think it was a magnification because I think she was really out of line, but um, mm. I can see how one would draw that conclusion. Yeah. How many times have you been upset recently and your go-to conclusion was, they don't care about me? Does it happen more than once? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten better over the years. years. It happens less and less frequently, but it's not like it's completely gone. It's not. So, therefore, there's still trauma there. There's still a, yeah. a wound there from childhood that is not yet resolved. Otherwise, yeah. it wouldn't be show. I have this motto that the universe keeps giving you the same lesson again and again until you get it. Once you get it, then you don't experience that, that event anymore. Right. And that's the, work, that's the work I do. I get you to understand what happened and why, because until you understand and discover the truth, that's when the truth sets you free. Because remember, trauma, um, in Greek, it means wound. And that's mm -hmm. what trauma is. It's a, it's a psychological wound. And, it's, and going back to PTSD here, it's not about the external event that happens. It's what happens internally. It's how we interpret something, the meaning we attach to something. And that's why when, when you, you mentioned earlier is that when we talk about there could be two people that witness the same event and one person has PTSD from it and the other person doesn't, it's because it's the interpretation or the meaning we attach to it inside, internally. There's another factor as well is that if someone um, is impacted by PTSD and the other person isn't, um, it may also tell you that person's had a history of PTSD in some way, shape or form in their earlier years. This just stacks up on it. This just sets it off again. Right. Right. I mean, I, ha I, had a, I had a younger brother during childhood, during those turbulent days. Well, I still have a brother. Um, anyway, he was five, five years younger, and the way that he coped with it is he would always run and hide under a 
piece of large furniture. He would run and hide. My approach was the exact opposite, that I'm going to be the Army Ranger. I'm going to get right in the front lines, right in the line of fire, and set my parents apart to where they stopped fighting, resolve whatever issue that they were fighting about, you know, I was, I took like the 180, here we are both in the same, you know, household experiencing the same event. He runs and hides and I, you know, face it like a warrior. He's your younger brother, right? Yes. So if we can imagine we have a grizzly bear in the woods and the grizzly bear is chasing you, it's roaring at you, wants to attack you. You mm-hmm. have a choice to fight or flight. This is the, this is the nervous system activating. Right. And in that moment, you can run away because you're in the woods. You escape. You're never going to fight the grizzly bear. But now imagine that grizzly bear is living in your household, in that room, and the grizzly bear is shouting and swearing at you and maybe physically being violent. Um, Now what do you do? You can't fight it. You can't run away. You have a choice to freeze or fawn even, to cower down. Now your brother, just to protect himself, to keep himself safe and secure. So in that moment, he doesn't like having to run away and hide but that keeps him safe. Whereas mm-hmm. your response mm-hmm. is because you've now took on the parent role, you now have empowered yourself to feel like you're the person in charge because everyone else in the house is behaving like a child. Yes. And that's where your role started to change. Yes, absolutely. And with the bear, I probably either find, you know, some some fishing net to capture the bear or find a club or <laughs> a rifle or something. I mean, or I would be running up the tree. So, you know, to escape the bear, I, I would be doing, I would try to be as active with the situation as I could. Mm. I, I would not be running under the furniture. The question is why? I, I don't know. I should ask you that question. Like we were saying earlier, you have two people witnessing the same event one mm. takes one approach and the other one takes the other mm. approach. Because you feel like you're in a position to take over. You feel like you're in charge of the household. Right. As an eight-year-old, yes. Yeah, and that's, I mean, how many eight-year-olds do you know that run households? None. <laughs> what, does it, what does it tell you about your parents that allow an eight-year-old to run the household? I don't know. I, 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 yeah, that's, that's a very good question. Why did they allow that? By default. You know? Because they, they couldn't cope with the situation. They were triple my age. I mean, you'd think they'd have mm. some experience under their belt, but that certainly yeah. wasn't the case. Yeah. So then the question is, what was going on with their lives? What happened to them? You know, I finally, like when I was in my 40s, I think, I finally softened up with all of this. And I said, holy cow, what must their childhood have been like for them to treat me like this? Yeah. Like I can only imagine that was like 10 times worse than what they dished out to my brother and I. Yeah. It's called transgenerational trauma. You know, it just always goes back. And I'm not talking yeah. about genetically. This is like just through behaviors, habits, you know, even from when before you're born and your mother's pregnant with you in the womb, you can sense the stress she's going through. You know, we talk about some of the adverse effects. So um, there's a reason why, so say a child has ADHD, for example, there is premature birth under stress. There are parents that choose to smoke or drink, you know, and then through early childhood, there are events through those for the ACE score, which then 
change the way you think and feel about yourself, which then with ADHD can lead to your risk taker, you're more impulsive, you're spontaneous, you're clumsy, you make mistakes, you're forgetful. There's many traits to ADHD, but then one of the things is that it goes into addictions. And again, we talk about addictions. And for me, addictions is a really important subject because many people think that addictions are a bad thing. Many people think that um, when people take drugs, they're trying to kill themselves. They're doing a complete opposite. They're trying to stay alive. So when you talk to someone about addictions and say, well, okay, many people think that addiction is bad for you, mm-hmm. I will ask the question, tell me what you're doing with this that's making it good for you. It's making you feel a certain way. What does this give you um, to make you want to do it? Because addictions is about moving away from pain. It's giving you some kind of relief. It's soothing you in some way or moving towards pleasure. But it's always about moving away from something internally. And they will always tell you, this makes me feel alive. This is numbing me. This gives me a connection, gives me comfort. You know, what human doesn't want that? So the question is, okay, when did you start losing vitality? When did you stop feeling alive? When did you lose connection? And that's when you find out what's going on with why people do the things they do. We find that the addiction is actually not the problem. It's actually a coping mechanism to fix the problem temporarily, normally with a negative outcome, you know. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, the pain is so hard, so painful, you'll do anything. And there's an analogy about the firefighter and the fire. If you can imagine that in a burning house, the fire in the burning house is the pain inside. It may be some trauma you've carried for many, many years. And the firefighter is the addiction. Let's say, for example, drugs. And in that moment, the, the fire is burning so so hard in that house, the firefighter comes in with that hose and its only intention is to put that fire out, to soothe it, to give it some relief. But that fire hose is pumping so hard and so powerful, it's actually affecting the walls and sometimes if it's pumping so hard, it wears down the house so the, so the building collapses. And that's what addictions are all about. You know, they are not aware of the harm they cause to themselves, to their own bodies, to their relationships, to, to losing everything they have in their lives. This is about, in that moment, trying to manage the pain because it's too much. So it's time to understand what's going on inside, what happened, so we can fix it. So when you say, who, who did you tell? Um, you know, I was here in Los Angeles at the time. So yeah. all my relatives were, you know, 10,000 miles away in Europe. So there was mm. nobody to run and tell. I mean, had I had a grandmother nearby or an aunt nearby, I probably mm. would have told. Yeah. Um, I did have a lot of friends that, whom I was close to, but I didn't tell them, probably because I didn't really understand my role, that it was anything yeah. out of the ordinary. I didn't have the words or the foresight or the understanding to tell my best friend, for example. But had grandmother or aunt been there, I would have. I would have figured out a way to say, you know, this is not my role. Get me the heck out of here. I need help. Yeah. And in that moment, that small, young, innocent eight-year-old is still developing, is is just stuck, powerless, helpless in that situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that pushes into your body. That's where the stress comes from. You know, there's memories there. 
And that stress will push down and it will show up in different ways. It could be with reactions of anger. Some people just go into themselves and get depressed. Some people go into addictions. Some It shows up in their body in different ways. You know, people get eczema, so people get IBS, you know, mm-hmm. thyroid issues. They will show up in a different way. So the, so the children that can talk to somebody, they don't carry around this trauma with them or it's lessened or... It's about it's about changing perspective mm-hmm. because when you're that small young eight year old innocent girl and you're left to um, be in charge of a dysfunctional chaotic household, what does that young girl tell herself? What's her view of the world in that moment? Yeah, I mean that nobody cares for me. The world's unsafe. The world's mm-hmm. dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to rely on myself. You know, my parents should be taking care of me. I must be unlovable. Because mm-hmm. if they loved me, they wouldn't treat me like this. Yeah, I didn't get the sense that they didn't love me, but <laughs> whatever was going on was dysfunctional. Yeah. Did they tell you that they were proud of you? Did they celebrate you? No. My my mother would tell other people that she's proud of me because I accomplished X, Y, or Z, but yeah. she never would tell it to me. Like it was it was a shock to me when my friends would circle back and yeah. say, "Oh, your mom said so and so. Oh, she saw you on TV and she said blah blah blah. What a good job you did." But she would never say those kinds of words to me. And how did that make you feel? <sighs> it's just very odd (laughs) it's just it makes you feel again it's it reinforces the insecurity okay and then from your between your mother and mom and dad you love them both whose love did you crave the most Hmm. my dad gave me love far more but who who did you crave love from probably the mother my mother yeah okay and what kind of girl did you have to be to get that love who did you become yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I tried to be Miss Angel, but like none of that, nothing I did worked with her. Okay. But from a young age. She you, was insatiable. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like whatever her standard was. Yeah. You know. But you told yourself from a young age, for me to get love from my mother, I have to be perfect. Correct. And that has been a detriment. I mean, for <laughs> I've had to unlearn those things, you know. Mm. I've had to unlearn some of that those perfectionistic qualities because they certainly are not healthy. I, I finally mm. said to her one day, I said, "Look, there's only two things in this world that are perfect: God and nature. That's it. Anything else, they're not perfect. Mm. Let but it go." But you've conditioned yourself to believe that for you to get love, you have to be perfect around that person. So was this the first person that you tried to be perfect with or has it carried through your through your years? Uh, the most dominant person. Um, did I do it with others? Not, not anywhere near to the degree as with her. And you know what? My idea of, God, the profession perfectionism would work actually didn't work. I didn't get her attention. I still didn't get her attention. No matter what kind of superstar I was. So you changed who you were and you become a rebel. 
Well, I was always a rebel. <laughs> the perfection role, it never worked, did it? No, it never Even did. I kept trying, no. but it never did. Yeah. But the rebel role, you got you got attention, even if it's a negative way. Well, you know, if it's a burning house and I'm pulling you out from the burning house, I get <laughs> positive attention because I've saved your life. So I guess in that sense, you know, I'm I'm yeah. a savior of sorts. So I guess that's how I get my accolades. <laughs> but my, but my point is, is when your mum and dad are arguing in the house and your brother hides behind the sofa, you never joined him. No. You stood oh, up Oh, heck them. no. Right. Yeah. I stood up to them. Yeah. Because that, that's who you become. Yep. And you had to because it, it was another form of survival. Yep. You know, some people might have, like you say, take the drugs or the drink. Mm. And mm. to me, it was a form of survival. Mm. But by being like that, you lived in a household where you became hypervigilant. Your radar was on all the time because anything could happen at any time, right? Correct. And that's why you sit on the mafia seat. Right. You're, right. you're scanning. Um, when you go into a restaurant or any establishment, where you sit in the corner, what's up on the ceiling in the corner? What do you always see there? What's sitting in the, you mean on the ceiling or in the yeah. corner of the room? Up and sitting in the corner, fixed in the corner, so it's, yeah. it's got a view of the whole restaurant. What's up there? Like a like a camera, you mean? I'm not following your question. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like right. a camera? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's got a viewpoint of everything. It's check it's check-in security, and that's what you're doing on a ground floor level, mm -hmm. subconsciously. Yeah. So what were you saying about the camera and the ceiling? I was saying that you, you're playing the same role as that camera. You're, 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 you're positioning yourself in the corner of a restaurant so you can mm -hmm. scan the room, just like that camera is scanning the room for security. Correct. Does that make Correct. sense? Correct, yes. And do you need to scan anymore? Do you, do you feel safe in, in, your, in your environment now? Do you feel like you still need to put that scanning radar on? Or do you feel safe and secure now? No, I, I, I still have that behavior. I know, but do you still need it in your life? I, I don't know. If, I don't know. I guess I do, because otherwise I wouldn't be doing that behavior. I, you know, sit, sit in the middle of the room, not facing the exit. You yeah. know, I, I'd not be doing that behavior if I felt totally safe i'd be waiting my for my my steak to, to arrive no, you know but this is my point <laughs> every time you go to a restaurant and sit in the corner you're living in the past you're doing you're still going back to being that child in that dysfunctional household where you have to make sure you're safe and secure now let's do an exercise imagine being in the middle of the restaurant sitting down and without using the word could tell me why you would be in danger in that moment I don't know that I I would be in danger. I'm just hedging my bets, I guess, because you know so, you hear you hear of all these horrible things, you know, on the news. Mm. This gets blown up. That that person yeah. gets shot. This other person yeah. gets thrown in front of the the subway. I mean, all kinds of horrible <laughs> events could yeah. and do ha happen. Exactly. So I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the victim of that crime scene yeah. but that's my point is that 
these are all possibilities but in that moment in that restaurant it's completely safe and secure you're sitting with some friends around a table you're enjoying your food without mm-hmm. using the word could you are absolutely fine and when you do that exercise that brings your senses back to the present because in that moment you use your senses you see here smell taste and touch things you can look around and say everything is absolutely fine i'm calm and relaxed i'm enjoying myself Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. try that next time you go to a restaurant see what happens because you can switch off the radar then because every time you sit in the corner you're putting yourself on high alert how can you really enjoy yourself and be totally relaxed when you've took that position mm. it's a different viewpoint of course <laughs> I'm sure most people no. don't take the mafia seat. <laughs> uh, but don't get me wrong, people do it because there's a part of you that wants to be the protector to make sure that you're always taken care of because of what's happened in your past. Yes. You know, this is a kind of um, a shield or this, this armour that you put up just to make sure you're protected. But my point is, is that you no longer need it in your life. You can let it go. And by letting it go, you will kind of, you'll lower your stress levels. You'll start to relax. You start to enjoy yourself. Because the only thing you're doing now is savoring the moment, living in the present, not worrying about what happened in the past and may it happen again. Hmm. But if an event does happen, I really relish the, the accolades because it's the accolades I did not get from my mom by being the perfectionist. Okay, so give me an example. I mean, in the event that I do need to lead you to safety or whatever, or do need you do need to get you out of that restaurant for whatever reason, then I relish the accolades later. Like, thank you for helping me out. Because that's your role. You, you've took you've you've created yeah. a role for yourself as the protector. Mm-hmm. How many times have you done that over the last ten years? <laughs> um, um, yeah, probably more often than I'd like to count. At, at least once a year. Okay. Are there anyone else? Is anyone else in in that environment in that moment that could have done, uh, could have could have done that instead, and you took a back seat? Uh, I was at a girls' trip about a year ago and there was one other girl in the party that could have taken that role but I just jumped into that role and she let me have that seat for some reason is this because of trust you don't trust anyone else I didn't I didn't know maybe yeah I didn't know this girl from Adam I mean as as the weekend wore on I could tell that that was part of her personality Mm. as well to be the protector yeah but also you you also yeah, she backed down and let me be the one, let me be yeah. the leader. Because you've also been conditioned from a young child that you can't rely on people, they let you down. Yes, there is some of that, yes. Some? Yes. <laughs> there's there's still quite a bit there that needs polishing off, absolutely. And I think she was like that too, but for whatever reason, she let me be in control. You probably have common ground. I, I think so, yes. We became fast friends by the end of the trip. I didn't know her from in the beginning of the trip. but. Yeah. 
you, you can probably sense each other. I, I've, I've noticed, even even with me, there's there's um there's a reason why many people become therapists because of what they've gone through through their own lives, and um and that's why um through my own experiences, I've always wanted to help people, but I wanted to put myself in a position which I was knowledgeable, well informed, and had the experience to serve them the best I can. And that's one of the other reasons why also in the UK we have something called the Samaritans. So Samaritans mm-hmm. is, a, is, a, is a, the biggest charity organisation that the, um, the ethos is to uh, help provide, prevent suicide. And uh, this is a 24-hour service that people can call, email, and there's a walk-in centre as well. There We have um, branches all around the UK and we have tens of thousands of calls every day non-stop and these are all people that come with with issues um mental health issues um you know but 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 um they also lead into people with suicide suicidal thoughts or in a suicide in progress we are the we are the people that the police call if someone's in the process of trying to jump off a bridge or jump in front of a train um so it was important for me that i could equip myself to assist assist people to help them turn their lives around because suicide is, is a big thing especially with men's mental health at the moment and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. most of the time when I spend time with men and they want to end their lives and uh, I ask them a question do you really want to end your life or is this about trying to end the situation that you're currently in because there's something going on in your life right now that you can't take no more so let's just separate it and what we discover normally they don't want to end their lives. They just want to change the situation they're in right now, and they're stuck. Mm. For many men, they are un- women are external thinkers. And what I mean by that, Linda, is that when something's on your mind, if there's a problem, you talk it through. You meet your mm-hmm. friends, you have a coffee, you have a wine, you talk it through. And just by talking, you're trying to find a solution. With the men, they are internal thinkers. And what I mean by that is that when you tell the man the problem, they think internally, they're very quiet. And um, the more quiet they are, the more deeper they are into that problem because they're trying to solve it. And the problem is that because men don't speak and they're not as external as women, they they push it down and they're trying to problem solve themselves. And without asking for the right help or expertise, they get to the point of no return to think, well, I've failed. I've let my family down. I'm a proud man. If I can't take care of this, no one can. You know, and this is why they, they make the next step or or go to that choice of thinking about, ending their lives and this is where we step in because it's so important you know it doesn't need to be this way for many men i think they see asking for help as a negative which is why they take it internally and and you're right women when they're in time of need they go to the community they go to their friends and family and they talk it over with 10 different people and then they feel better at the end of all that um, but yeah, it's how, how do you get the guy to open up and and to realize that it's not a negative at all? It might even be a lifesaver. Yeah, I mean, the, again, this goes from childhood. Big boys are yeah. told boys are told not to cry, never show weakness. You know, you must always show strength. You know, and uh, where if a woman's got some problems and she wants to meet a friend and sort of wine bar and have a drink and talk it through, that's fine. And um, if a man wants to see his friends and in the bar and it's uh, Monday night football and they want to go and tell their friends I'm having problems at home 
you know, I've, I've had it where the guys just look at me, laugh at me and say, listen, I've, I've come to the bar to get away from my wife. I want to watch the ball game. I don't want to listen to this, you know. And again, you're snubbed. You're pushed, you're pushed back, you know. So where do you go? You know, you're ridiculed. Mm-hmm. It's tough. But it's about finding the right people to talk to because there needs to be some empathy. There needs to be some compassion. And that's why, like I said, I'm, my years of experience um, in and around all types of childhood adversities, around all types of mental disorders, abuse, addictions, I've lived in and around it, so I've seen everything. You know, my um, my father died when, when I was five, so that was tough. My mum struggled. She was an alcoholic. I went through many forms of different types of abuse, so I know the experience myself. And that's why also I, I work with prisoners. I work with um, a lot of prisoners that are serving the longer sentences, 20 to 30 years, um, for the most um, aggressive kind of um, crimes, armed robberies, murders and stuff like that, because these guys are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and uh, they've been assigned to a psychologist, and it just so happens they've been assigned to a psychologist who's a 22-year-old female graduate. And um, she's got no life experiences. These men want to talk to another man who can relate to them, who can empathise with them, who has compassion. And that's why the work I do with them is so powerful because they really need that kind of bonding. That's not to take away what this um, this young lady can offer, but they need this strong bond, this rapport, and also that trust. Trust is so important with men. Yeah. yeah. You say on your page with regard to the 20 to 30 um, year inmates, um, you help them so they can understand why they do they did the things that they have done so just an understanding of why is that enough to get past the issue or does it take more than that yeah i mean look the problem is is that for many years i have adhd so adhd is more of a um it's a more of a um, recognized disorder now but when i grew up as a young kid i was just told i was hyperactive i had an overactive brain I was told that I was the problem child because I was being very disruptive. You know, I was just um, always in trouble. But I never knew why I was like this. You know, I used to kick myself and beat myself up. Why did I do that? Because now I'm in trouble again. What's going on? What's wrong with me? You know, I said about being egocentric, you blame yourself. You know, and most of the people, like I said, in prison, they score a 6 out of 10 or more on the A score. So, again, it's like what happened to you? And what you find, I mean, look, I've got these murderers that I spoke to yesterday and their childhood was terrible they score um, a 9 out of 10 as well I score a 9 out of 10 you know I don't know how I survived prison I never you know I should have I could have been in prison but I survived it somehow my survival mechanism a bit like you Linda I survived it because I learned I couldn't rely on no one else I had to rely on myself but these guys that I speak to you know there's many different types of traumas they went through, loads of abuse, loads of neglect. And and trauma is not just about abuse. It's also about neglect and it's also about abandonment. You know, if their parents left them when you were a young child, if they were adopted, there's many reasons, you know, but with with a neglect is it's not what happened to you, it's what never happened to you. And what I mean by that is the, you know, young children need love, they need nurturing, you know, they need that 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 caring and support that you, you need from parents. And if you never got get that, again, it's another traumatic 
impact it has on a, on a young child, you know, and these traumatic impacts and these imprints, they impact the way you think and behave, which changes your neurology. And this is why this mental disorder happens. This is why you think differently and behave differently. Hmm. But does just knowing the why, is that enough to like move, move the needle, move the person past that trauma? Yeah, because now they now they no longer blame themselves is the point they blame themselves for doing the things they do and blame i'm look i'm not saying they should have been there because they could they, they they committed a crime but they need to understand what was going on for them to start thinking and behaving this way so like when i go into a restaurant and i <laughs> self-evaluate as to why i have that mafia behavior why i have that you know, leader of the pack behavior, that to me, that's not enough to move the needle. I know why, you know, because of the trauma from childhood, but that's not enough to get me past it. Because you haven't, uh, it's the interpretation of meaning, you know, it's the perception. You need to change that. You need to reset your senses. You know, if you, you play charades, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, charades is a game where you're not allowed to talk. So how do you communicate? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's hand, and hand and body gestures. Yeah, it's called it's called acting out, right? So from children yeah. when they behave in such a young age into adults now, when they act out, they're expressing themselves in a way which they can't express verbally. You know, so when you're on hypervigilant mode and you sit in the corner and you're looking around, you are acting out. You're not telling me this, but your body is showing me that you don't feel safe. You need to look after yourself. You can't rely on anyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about anger, why people are angry. Anger is an expression of hurt. So the question is not why are you angry, it's what's hurting you so much inside that makes you react in an angry way. And when people start to understand this, they realize, you know, this is not a person that's what um, wants to cause harm it's just the pain inside is just so much this is how they express themselves I think a you know a great deal of men fall in that category because there's 30 different human emotions and it seems like from age four on young boys are taught that's the only acceptable socially acceptable emotion is anger you know, so they suppress all, all 29 other emotions mm. in favor of that one. Mm. But in that moment, when they turn to anger, it's their stress levels going up to say, I'm unable to cope in this moment, and this is yeah. how I will express myself. And I'm not going to do it in words. My body will just, you know, the heart's pumping, your, your skin is getting tight, your muscles tense up. You know, you can really feel it. It's like this volcano inside just bubbling and bubbling waiting to erupt you know because inside it's that pain no one chooses to be angry yeah yeah again it stems from trauma like like anything else almost mm. All right, to my audience, if you've just uh, listened uh, through this very intense uh, session that we've had here, you're on with my guest, Sean McNicholas. You can find Sean at newmetherapy.com, newmetherapy, all one word, .com. Is that right, Sean? Is that 
the way yes. that they would contact you. And um, he offers a, an initial session, and then I guess you go into uh, the second session, you go more into a deep dive in to uncovering some of your childhood traumas and maybe putting a new label on them and not seeing them as, as horrible <laughs> as you once ex- experienced it. So, in, in fact, Sean, you say something to the effect of, why do some people with horrible pasts create the best futures? What, what led you to that comment? Well, I'm an example. You know, your, your past does not define you, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a casino analogy where it's, um, it's not about the cards you were dealt, it's about how you play them. Mm-hmm. And that's for many people, you know. Sometimes they've had the toughest childhoods, but they've gone through it. They've overcome all adversities because they accept it wasn't their fault. I was never unhappy or angry with my mum. I wasn't angry or upset by my dad passing, you know, and um, I went through so many things, but I just kept moving forward. I knew that I could rely on myself to have an amazing life. And it's it's all about moving forward, because when you're moving forward, you're moving towards your future. And that's so important, because otherwise you're living in the past and then you're stuck. And that's really interesting is because for many people that suffer from anxiety or or panic attacks and stuff like that I ask a very simple question it sounds very simple but when I ask them they get stuck on it and for you now Linda without any worries fears or concerns tell me what you want well I mean obviously some of these negative emotions I would like to let them go let them float away to somewhere else let them you know dive into the ocean and be far far away from me yeah I did the best that I could as an eight-year-old, but I don't have to be reliving those moments. And that's the point, is that this is what the work I do with a reset. This is why I I do, like, uh, I can do hourly sessions, but I always recommend I do a 28-day therapy package, which is really fast and effective and really intense. And the reason why I do that is because I really want to dive in really fast and so you can really get to understand what's happened to you why you did the things you do, realize it's not your fault, release any guilt, shame or blame that you ever had, and we start working on your future. We reset your senses, so you go back from a a 9 or 10 in your stress levels back to zero. We reset everything, and we start working on who you are now and who you'd like to be, and that's about planning your future. I love that. All right, I'm going to circle back on that one. All right, do you have any closing comments, Sean, before I close out the show? Um, I would just like to thank everyone for listening. Um, I've had a really fun time with you, Linda. It was like a therapy session in itself, really. I know. It really was. It was very yeah. intense. But you can just follow. I, I do loads of posts on uh, Instagram and Facebook. Um, again, it's um, at NewMeTherapy or go to www.NewMeTherapy.com. Very good. Uh, uh, Okay. I'm going to definitely circle back. So, all right, my listening audience, just wanted to shout out with a couple of things. Want to bring your attention to the audio book is finally out there. You can get The Science of Mastering Women, The Science of Mastering Women, The Real Truth About Women That Will Change Your Life Forever. It is now newly on in the audiobook format. So where do you go? You can go to awesound.com. That's A-W-E-S-O-U-N-D.com forward slash Linda Gross. 
awesound.com forward slash Linda Gross. It is on a host of other platforms. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Spotify. There's like 50 different platforms that you can also find the audio book on. So make sure you check that out. I know you guys have been asking for the audio version, and there it is. And then also I want to let you know about my business coaching I help CEOs and entrepreneurs solve their business problems and I scale their businesses as well. So if you want to increase your volume, your sales, um, I, I handle all of those types of issues. So how do you partake in that? Go to Facebook, send me a DM, and I will uh, invite you to my private business page, and you can find out more about how all of that works. Um, go to on, In your search box, you go to Facebook, DT Linda Gross, Facebook, DT Linda Gross, that'll take you to me. DM me. If you're not on Facebook, you can always send me an email. That's info at themensadvocate.com, info at themensadvocate.com. It is a custom-made program for, for business coaching. It's a 90-day program. We meet twice a week on Zoom, and we will definitely, um, you know, shed a lot of gems in your direction that you can use not only for your business but in all areas of your life as well. I want to thank again our very special guest, our intense show today. I hope you guys had a lot of takeaways and you're going to be contacting Sean as I will. Um, Sean McNicholas and again the name of his site is NewMeTherapy.com, NewMeTherapy.com. Thank you so much, Sean, for joining the show, and we'll be in touch soon.